1962, a steamy summer afternoon in the Costa Rican rainforest. An American bomber roars just over the jungle treetops, bordering a long stretch of beach. Birds scatter, monkeys shriek. The Douglas B-26 Invader was one of the most ferocious fighting aircrafts in both World War II and the Korean War. It bristles with weaponry, machine guns on the nose, missiles mounted on the wings, and a massive bomb bay in its belly. It's a beast built for devastating targets on the ground. That's its mission today, destruction. But its targets aren't here in Costa Rica. They're in Cuba. This stretch of beach is just a rendezvous point. Inside the plane, the two pilots, both Cubans exiled by Castro's government, are trying to land on the hard-packed sand. Full flaps, speed 100 knots, altitude 100 feet, 50. Steady now, here we go. When the wheels touch down, the plane skids and fishtails in the sand before bouncing to a stop. The pilots clamber out of the cockpit. They scan the shoreline and the jungle. Where the hell's the rendezvous plane with our bombs? I don't see it. It should be here by now. What now? We wait, and we review the mission objectives again. The pilots are on a mission paid for by the CEO of Bacardi, the Cuban liquor company. Cuban leader Fidel Castro nationalized Bacardi's distilleries two years ago. Bacardi made a tactical retreat, but now it's decided to literally go to war. That's why the Cuban pilots are here waiting for their supply plane on a secluded beach in Costa Rica. Once armed, they plan to blow up Cuba's power grid. Their hope is that counter-revolutionaries will overthrow Castro once the lights go out in Cuba. The flight path is pretty simple between here and Havana. We come in from the south and dive down to 5,000 feet over the city. That'll help us avoid the anti-aircraft guns. When we reach the old Bacardi building, we head east towards the target, the oil refinery. Then, the power grid. Hell yes. And then, Cuba Libre. Right. But hey, where are our damn bombs? The sun is setting. The tide is rising. If the sand under the plane gets wet, the pilots will be stuck in the muck unarmed and 900 miles away from their objective of starting a rum-fueled revolution. Gustavo, the rendezvous plane isn't coming. We have to scrap the mission. The pilots take off and head back to the airport near San Jose, Costa Rica, where they've been hiding Bacardi's bomber for months. It's an inauspicious beginning for Bacardi's battle against Castro. In time, the battle will go from the jungle to Washington's corridors of power. It will also draw in a savvy spirits competitor, Francis Pernod Ricard. And when the French arrive in Havana, Castro will delight in pouring gasoline on what will become a hot rum war. If you travel for work, you know to pack two suits, business and swim. You know with your Delta SkyMiles business Amex card, buying that plane ticket for a business trip can get you closer to medallion status. 
You know that a meeting in Montana means visiting almost every national park. Yellowstone? Check. Because you're the chief excursion officer. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum Business American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Terms apply. Visit go.amex slash you know business. Now, since you're a podcast listener, I'm sure you know all about how audio just does something to the imagination. So I'm really excited to tell you about how Audible's brand new exclusive thrillers are brought to life with that kind of captivating sound design, the eerie soundscapes and dynamic performances. There's one that caught my eye. I should say it caught my ear. It's an Audible original called Sleeping Dogs Lie by Samantha Downey. It details the aftermath of a local businessman's murder in Marin County, California, a once sleepy suburb now part of the bustling Silicon Valley area. And as an Audible member, well, you get to keep one title a month from their entire catalog, including bestsellers and new releases. New members can try Audible now free for 30 days. Head on over to audible.com slash BW or text BW to 500-500. That's audible.com slash BW or text BW to 500-500 and try out Audible free for 30 days. From Wondery, I'm David Brown and this is Business Wars. In our new six-part series, Bacardi vs. Pernod Ricard, we tell the story of a boozy brawl between two of the biggest spirits companies in the world. Today, a handful of firms own most of the brands you'll find in any well-stocked home bar. Bacardi is a $4 billion giant that also owns Grey Goose Vodka, Patron Tequila, Dewar's Scotch, and Bombay Sapphire Gin. Pernod Ricard is even bigger. In 2019, it racked up almost $10.5 billion, selling Pernod Absinthe, Ricard Liqueur, Jameson Whiskey, Beefeater Gin, and Absolute Vodka. With brands this big and rich, there's plenty for these liquor barons to battle over. But at the core of their decades-long conflict is a single spirit made in Cuba, a rum called Havana Club. While the rum is a delicious concoction of fermented sugarcane syrup, it's the brand name that's truly mouthwatering. Havana Club evokes a glitzy, glamorous era of Cuba's past. Problem is, Havana Club's own past has been shaken and stirred by controversy. And that's led Bacardi, Pernod Ricard, and Cuba itself to all believe they rightfully own the brand. This is Episode 1. Rum and Revolution. It's New Year's Day, 1960, in the seaside town of Cardenas, Cuba. This is the home of Havana Club, developed decades earlier by Jose Arechabala. As usual, the Arechabala family is pushing its distillery to the limit. They can't take any days off if they're going to produce enough Havana Club to keep up with the larger Bacardi rum. But for the Arechabala family, today will not be like any other day. Exactly a year ago, on January 1st, 1959, Fidel Castro seized power from Fulgencio Batista. Now, 
his forces are zeroing in on profitable industries to sustain the regime. And rum is high on the list. The distillery workers freeze when they hear gunfire. Stop! Stop what you're doing! No one move! Where are the Arechevalas? One man in the group of workers steps forward. He's the 29-year-old great-nephew of the Arechevala distillery's founder, Jose Arechevala. I'm Ramon Arechevala. Ramon stares at the soldiers who point their guns at him. The officer in charge, Calixto Lopez, aims a machine gun directly at Ramon's head. You're Ramon Arechevala? And your Uncle Pepe runs this distillery, correct? Yes, he does. Well, from now on, I'm Pepe. I'm the boss. This distillery no longer belongs to you. It belongs to the revolution. Now, give us the keys to the building and show us where all the records are kept. Ramon slowly reaches into his pocket for the keys. Before Castro seized power, the Arechabala family had supported the dictator Fulgencio Batista. That alone is often fatal in Cuba's current climate. Ramon worries that even if he cooperates, he'll be shot dead. The office is just over there, beyond the barrels. My brother Jose Miguel is in there. Over the next few hours, soldiers question Ramon and his brother. But eventually, the soldiers let them leave. At home, Ramon frantically calls his relatives who are vacationing in Spain, their ancestral homeland. Hello? Tio Pepe? Si, Ramon. What's wrong? The Fidelistas have taken over the distillery and thrown us out. It's over. Stay in Spain. If you come back here, they'll arrest all of you and possibly kill you. I thought they would kill me tonight, but they told me to come back to work tomorrow. Ramon, do whatever they say for now. But do you think you can get control of the business back from them? No deal. Not without a fight. And they have all the guns. When he returns to work over the next several months, Ramon Arechebala finds that Castro's special forces are clueless about making fine rum and have little interest in learning how. One day, he arrives to find all of the empty barrels have disappeared, so he tracks down Calixto Lopez. Senor Lopez, where are the barrels? We have rum coming off the stills today. It needs to be stored in the barrels. I gave them away to those more in need. We'll make rum without the barrels. But, Senor Lopez, Havana Club is aged. The barrels give it its special flavor. You can't make Havana Club properly without them. This will destroy the rum. Lopez is incensed. How dare you question me? You grew up rich. You're a playboy. There's no place for you in the revolution. Leave now. And if you come back, I'll put a bullet in your head. Months later, Castro nationalizes the Arechebala's distillery and more than 400 other Cuban businesses, including Bacardi, Cuba's biggest and best-known brand. Most business owners, including the Bacardi's, flee. Many of those left behind are eventually imprisoned. Among them is Ramon Arechebala. In jail, one of Fidel Castro's officers gives him an ultimatum. Ramon, I'll give you a choice. You and your family can leave Cuba now, or we can put you in prison for a very long time. How? What can you even charge me with? Oh, don't worry. We'll figure that out later. Ramon doesn't need long to decide. Once he's released, 
he and his wife, Amparo, hastily pack a few bags and head to the Havana airport. As they board a flight to Madrid, Ramon turns to his wife, who's cradling their infant son. I'm so sorry, Amparo. I don't know what we're going to do now without the family business. But maybe once Castro's gone, we'll come back to Cuba again. But Ramon is wrong. He and his family will never set foot on Cuban soil again. As the Arechibalas flee their home, they only have one last thing of value, and it's in Ramon Arechibala's head. He's memorized the family's secret formula for making Havana Club. But with no money, Ramon is going to need help to restart production. And to get it, he'll turn to the most unlikely of sources, his family's old rival, Bacardi. It's 1973. Brothers Jose Miguel and Ramon Arechibala are meeting in a bar in Miami's South Beach, a faded neighborhood popular with retirees. When they fled Cuba, the brothers went to Spain to be with family. Now, they've started a new life in the U.S. Jose has a question for the bartender. Do you know how to make a Havana Club cocktail? Havana Club? Uh, nope. Never heard of it. It was invented at the Biltmore Hotel in New York in 1934. You muddle three strawberries with the juice of one lime, a teaspoon of sugar, and two ounces of Havana Club rum. Shake that with ice. It's delicious. Like I said, I never heard of Havana Club rum, but we got Bacardi. That good enough? The brothers exchange looks. Of course it's not good enough, but they have no other choice. The Bacardi family suffered the same fate as the Arechibalas and fled Cuba. But by 1973, the Bacardis have rebuilt. Bacardi has distilleries outside of Cuba and has transferred its licensing and trademark BAT logo to the United States. The Bacardis are prospering. The Arechibalas are not. Ramon turns to his brother. Jose, I've been going from one job to another for years. What I'd really like to do is start distilling rum again. So would I. But who's going to give us some money to open a distillery? I refine sugar in Philadelphia, and you sell used cars in Miami. Don't count on the banks helping us. Jose lets that sink in for a moment before he lays out a plan he knows will seem ludicrous to his brother. Ramon, what if we ask the Bacardis to help us? Ramon recoils at the thought. Ask their family's old rival for help? And why would they agree? I'd rather get rejected by the bank than by Bacardi. They're not going to reject us, Ramon. I already talked to them. Ramon jerks his head up and slowly puts his drink down, waiting for Jose to go on. Hey, listen. There's a Bacardi exec I used to know back in Cuba. He's in exile, just like us, and he now handles all of Bacardi's dealings with Cuba. I talked to him. He said he'd be interested in some kind of partnership. With Bacardi's help, we could make Havana Club again. Well, if Bacardi's interested, we need to get to them fast. I think our U.S. trademark expires next year. In the next few weeks, Ramon calls Jose's contact at Bacardi. The company sends Ramon a plane ticket to come to the Bacardi distillery in the Bahamas. As he tours the distillery... 
Ramon starts to cry. He pulls himself together to explain. I'm sorry, I haven't seen the inside of a rum distillery since ours was seized. I miss it and I want to start making Havana Club again. I'm hoping Bacardi can help, but I don't think I can renew my family's Havana Club trademark in the U.S. unless I'm actually making rum. But Ramon is way off base, and the mistake will cost him dearly. To renew the license for Havana Club, all he needs to do is to fill out a form and pay $25. That's all it would take for the Arechabalas to hold on to the name Havana Club, in the U.S. anyway. Bacardi lets the matter slip, too, when Jose Arechabalas' contact at Bacardi falls ill. Cuba's state-run rum company steps in. It files trademark papers in the U.S., Two years later, with no objections from the Arechabalas or Bacardi, the U.S. grants Cuba the trademark for Havana Club. Now, the Bacardis and the Arechabalas will have to stake their claim to Havana Club in court. But there's even more trouble bubbling, because a new spirits competitor is about to align itself with Castro. That company, Francis Pernod Ricard, has managed to survive and prosper through two world wars and prohibition in Europe. Like Bacardi, it's a family-operated company. And like Bacardi, Pernod Ricard knows how to fight. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, it isn't just your business. It's your life. Whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's where State Farm Small Business Insurance comes in. See, State Farm agents are small business owners, too. They know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. It's 1986, and Havana Club is hot in Eastern European bars and clubs. But you'd have a hard time finding the premium rum anywhere else. Over the past decade, Cuba has exported 90% of its rum to the Soviet bloc. There's little cash involved in that exchange. When Cuba sends its Havana Club, citrus, sugar, or cigars to the communist East, it gets other goods in exchange, wheat, clothing, and weapons. But that bartering system and the Soviet bloc itself is about to have a rendezvous with a wrecking ball foreshadowed by President Ronald Reagan himself. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. In November 1989, less than two years after Reagan's pronouncement, the Berlin Wall does indeed fall. 
Four years later, the Soviet bloc is in political upheaval and its trade deals and subsidies to Cuba have almost completely evaporated. Now, Fidel Castro has to do something unthinkable. He has to reach out to capitalists. It's the summer of 1992. At Cuba's government palace, Castro is hosting a dinner for 125 foreign investors and executives. Most are Americans with companies that include American Express and Procter & Gamble. Executives murmur to each other about Cuba's crushing economic crisis. I heard the Cuban peso lost half its value against the dollar on the black market. And even if they get dollars, there's nothing to buy. Yeah, there's no meat, no soap. The buses aren't even running. People line up for hours to buy whatever food they can find. And the country's at least nine billion bucks in debt. They're going to need a fire sale to stay afloat then we ought to be able to find some good bargains here, right? Maybe they'll sell us the oil refineries or copper mines. Or the casino. Or the cigars and the rum. <laughs> Finally, Castro holds up his glass and waits for his guests to quiet down. He has a proposal, but sees no reason to phrase it politely for these capitalists. The counter-revolutionary rats are already thinking about how they can turn this country into another Miami. They want to make it a safe haven for gambling and corruption again. But capitalism and capital are not the same. The executives exchange looks. Castro's message is clear. Capitalism may not be welcome in socialist Cuba, but capitalists' money most certainly is. The next morning, in Paris, Patrick Ricard is sitting at his breakfast table reading the paper. The burly Ricard is the CEO of French spirits conglomerate Pernod Ricard and the son of the company's founder. His eyes stop on a headline about Cuba opening to investors. He throws down his paper and calls the head of the company's North American division, Michel Bohr. Michel, did you see what's happening in Cuba? Castro is selling stakes in everything they own. What have you heard about rum? Is it on the block? I don't know. He hasn't said anything specific about the rum distilleries. You understand what it means to us if they would, though, don't you? Havana Club is a great brand name. It's in English, for one thing. And Bacardi rums can't match it for quality. Besides, Castro's never going to let the Bacardis back into Cuba. The Bacardis still make Cuban-style rum, though. But if we bought Havana Club... We'd be making real Cuban rum in Cuba. Get to Havana right away and make an offer. Days later, Bohr is walking through a distillery in a small seaside town outside Havana. The Cuban government built this distillery in 1977, specifically to make Havana Club. Bohr stops and turns to the Cuban trade minister to make his pitch. Pernod Ricard wants to invest in Havana Club. With our strengths in marketing and distribution, we could bring your brand to the world. I'm sorry, but we're not selling our rum to outsiders. I don't understand. You're selling mining rights and sugar mills and all manner of other businesses. Why not the rum? Rum is our national jewel. Selling you Havana Club would be like selling you Cuba itself. There will be no rum deal. When Bohr calls Ricard with the bad news, he's not dissuaded. 
Go back. Make the offer 50%. They can keep the other half. Cuba will make the rum and Bruno Ricard will market it around the world. And here's the best part. Someday, the U.S. embargo against Cuba will be lifted. I guarantee you. And when that happens, as joint owners, we'll have the Havana Club trademark where it counts. In the U.S. The U.S. accounts for 40% of the world's rum market. Rum connoisseurs know that Havana Club is top shelf. If Ricard's prediction comes to pass, his company could pose a serious challenge to Bacardi. It's a steamy September day in 1993 in Havana. In a small conference room, an executive from Pernod Ricard and a Cuban trade minister pull two chairs up to a mid-century table. They're signing the deal that will make Pernod Ricard and Cuba joint owners of Havana Club. Standing behind them, flanked by tall tropical plants, is Patrick Ricard in his finest Navy suit. Next to him is Fidel Castro in his green fatigues. He pulls his trademark Cohiba cigar out of his shirt pocket. Castro turns to the French spirits maker. Havana Club is a Cuban rum, and it will remain a Cuban rum. But now, your job is to ensure the whole world gets to enjoy it. News of Pernod Ricard's deal with the Castro regime lands on Bacardi's global headquarters in Bermuda like a bomb. Bacardi isn't just battling Castro. Now, it has a new enemy, Pernod Ricard. This war won't be fought with planes and mercenary pilots. It'll be fought with lawyers, lobbyists, and with the secret recipe to a stolen rum. In our next episode, we go back to a dark era in spirits history, a time when murderers, smugglers, moonshiners, soldiers, and dictators played essential roles in building Bacardi and Pernod Ricard into international giants. Hey, Prime members, you can binge every episode of Business Wars ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus and Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. From Wondery, this is episode one of Bacardi vs. Pernod Ricard for Business Wars. A quick note about recreations you've been hearing. In most cases, we can't know exactly what was said. Those scenes are dramatizations, but they are based on historical research. We use many sources when researching our stories, but we especially recommend Tom Jelton's Bacardi and the Long Fight for Cuba and Foreign Invaders by Dan Hagedorn and Leif Hellstrom. I'm your host, David Brown. Joseph Guinto wrote this story. Karen Lowe is our senior producer and editor, edited and produced by Emily Frost. Voice acting by Chris Garcia. Sound designed by Kyle Randall. Our associate producer is Kate Young. Our producer is David Schilling. Our executive producers are Jenny Lauer Beckman and Marshall Louie. Created by Hernan Lopez. For Wondering. Hey, it's Guy Raz here, the host of How I Built This, a podcast that gives you a front row seat to how some of the biggest products were built and the innovators, entrepreneurs, and idealists behind them. 
Every week, I speak to someone new, stories like Justin Wolverton's, a lawyer who just wanted a healthy alternative to ice cream, so he created Halo Top in his Cuisinart. Or Todd Graves, who grew his fried chicken restaurant Raising Cane's into one of the most successful fast food chains in the U.S. All of these great conversations can help you learn how to think big, take risks, and navigate crises in life and work from people who've done all of that and more. Follow How I Built This on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to How I Built This early and ad-free right now on Wondery Plus.